Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting to read at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Joe, thank you very much, and good evening. Great to have you back tonight. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Ephesians chapter 6, page 1177, if you just closed your Bibles. And let's pray for God's help as we look together at his word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Father, we do pray tonight that you would help us to be strong in you, in the Lord, and in uh, his mighty power, for we need that strengthening, that power to be at work within us, through us. And so we pray tonight uh, for that power. We pray that you'd help us to understand what it means to have that power work in us tonight. We long to be people who stand, who are firm, uh, who play their role in your great plan for the world. We long that you, you would use us to further your kingdom. And so we pray for power tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered why it is so difficult to do the things that we know that we should do. Uh, Think of a husband driving home one evening after work. It's been a long, tiring day. And he's thinking about that moment when he walks through the front door to meet the family and his wife. 
and he knows what he should do, uh, what he wants to do. He should love, he wants to love. Uh, he, he should be the kind of father who doesn't exasperate his children. And yet, as he walks through the front door, for some reason, out of his mouth comes words that are short and sharp. He is impatient. He withdraws. He's grumpy. Think of a, of a child getting ready for school, perhaps in a few weeks now, and it's in the morning, you're rushing around, and for some reason, the parents are just being really annoying. They're getting under your skin with their comments about the day coming up, and, and for some reason, you know you should obey them, but for some reason, you just snap back, and you're short and grumpy with them. Yeah, you know you shouldn't, but, but you do. Or think uh, of another person. It, uh, this night is the night of your small group. And uh, you plan to go, uh, you enjoy your small group, you, you go most weeks, but for some reason tonight, you just don't want to go. It's not that you've got something else on that evening, your day's been kind of normal, you're a bit tired, but you just don't want to go. You just don't fancy it. The, all the conversations, the, the prayer time, you, you just don't want to be in your small group that night. Why is it so difficult to live the way we know we should live. A room this size, there'll be all kinds of ways in which we find it hard to live the kind of life that we know God is calling us to live. We all find different things difficult. Uh, maybe we're not a husband or a child here tonight, but perhaps we have a temper that just gets the better of us. Perhaps there's bitterness that we just can't let go of. Uh, perhaps there's a person in our small group We know we should be unified. We've heard about the unity tonight, but we just can't get on with them. For some reason, they just annoy us. And sometimes it shows. Uh, Maybe for a number of years, we've been in and around the church family, and we we come on Sundays quite often, but we've never really got committed to the church family. We haven't started serving, or we haven't got involved in a small group, and we actually miss quite a few uh, Sunday gatherings. And we know that we should do more and get more involved, but we just haven't. Whatever it is for you tonight, you'll know what it is. Why is it so difficult to live the way that we know we should live? And I guess there are lots of reasons. Sometimes in this world, we will meet people who are just difficult, and it's hard to love them as we should. Sometimes we will be in genuinely difficult circumstances, and it's hard to keep going in those circumstances. Sometimes the world puts great pressure on us and tempts us and pulls us in different directions. Sometimes we're just tired and we need a rest. All these things can make it hard to do what we know is right to do. But tonight, as we come to the end of this extraordinary letter to the Ephesians, Paul says there is another reason. There is another reason why all of us struggle to do the things that we know we should do. The kind of things that Paul has been talking about ever since chapter 4 when he said that we should live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Tonight, Paul says, the reason is because we are in a fight. Look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly realms. We are in a fight. I guess, what, 70 years ago, it wasn't hard for people in this country to understand what it meant to be in a fight. It was very real, very visible, very tangible for everyone in this country, whether we were on the front line or whether we were on the back line supporting those in the front line. Everyone was involved in the war effort, whether it was um, producing things, uh, growing things, uh, supporting people, getting involved. Being in a war affected everyone's life. But 70 years or so on, we've become used to living in peace and praise God for the peace we have in this country. But I think it makes it hard for us to believe or to understand or imagine what it means to be actually in a war. And yet Paul says to us tonight that even though we can't see it with our physical eyes and we may not always feel it in the circumstances of our lives, Paul says we are very much in a war and it's as real as any war this country or this world has ever seen or experienced. We are in a war. The rest of Ephesians tells us what this war is all about. It gives us the scope and size and reason for the war. Uh, We know from Ephesians 1, for example, that the risen Lord Jesus has been raised high above every other ruler and authority in the universe. Uh, He is the true Lord of all, which means that he is enthroned over every evil force, over Satan himself and all his allies. We know that eventually God's master plan is to bring all things together in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And that will happen whether willingly or unwillingly. Every knee will bow before Christ. And so we know that Satan and his allies have lost the war. Christ has won. And yet until Christ returns and until his master plan comes to its completion... We live in a world where Satan is still at work. He is still warring against the one who has beaten him. He is fighting against God's purposes to bring all things together under Christ. Which means that the devil hates the church. Just turn with me, if you would, um, back to Ephesians chapter 3. Just over the page, one page. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says this, he's talking about God. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you see that the very existence of church, even this gathering here tonight, shows the evil forces that they have lost in their attempt to thwart the purposes of God. It's a bit like rugby. Uh, now, um, I know many of you here don't like rugby, and uh, don't worry, the Six Nations is now over, and this is my last rugby illustration until the World Cup starts in a few months, so uh, look out for more in just a, a few months. Uh, but you may have heard that last weekend, Ireland won the Rugby Six Nations, and they uh, narrowly beat England on points. It was close, but Ireland won. Now, being Scottish and, um, you know, sitting on the fence in these matters, imagine I were to invite some English friends around to dinner, uh, maybe in a, in a week's time, um, for a nice meal and, um, you know, all very pleasant. But imagine I had in the background on the biggest TV I could find, just on loop, 
uh, in high definition, perhaps in slow motion. Uh, Try after try after try that Ireland scored, racking up the points, which meant that they ultimately beat England. How would my English friends feel sitting there uh, eating their meal, watching uh, that defeat I should say, by the way, that if, if you do come to my house in a few weeks' time, I'm not going to make you um, sit and watch uh, rugby highlights um, unless you want to, but um, that's a different matter. The church is a visual display, uh, not to us sitting here tonight, but to the heavenly forces, to Satan himself, played out in real time, in full HD color. It is a display that he has lost. When people unify together, when Christians love each other and bear with one another and speak truth and love to one another, when they live out their unity in practice, when they live as light, not darkness, when they care about their purity, when husbands love their wives, when children obey their parents, when employees work with diligence and respect for their masters in the workplace, all these things show the devil that he has lost in his great attempt to thwart God's master plan in the world. Which means the devil hates the church. He hates it when we unify and when we love and when we bear with and when we speak truth in love and when we come to our small groups and stand together and support one another. He hates it. And so as Paul Paul draws his letter to a close, the final thing he would say to us as we seek to live out our part in God's master plan, he would say to us very clearly, very simply, we are in a fight. We are in a fight against the spiritual forces that do exist against the devil himself, for he hates the church and he would do anything he can to disrupt to, to spoil, to discourage the church today. And this means that because we are in a fight, this kind of fight, not the fight with uh, flesh and blood, but a spiritual fight, this means that God's master plan, his church, us here tonight, won't move forward, won't grow, won't take shape as it should, unless we learn how to fight the way God shows us how to fight. We cannot do it on our own, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are in a fight. So how should we fight? Well, Paul goes on to show us uh, the help that we have in the fight. And that's, that's our next point. We have help in the fight. In many ways, uh, verse 10 at the beginning of our reading sums up Paul's message in this section. He says, be strong. It's the same sense of when he says in verse 13, stand, or verse 14, stand firm. In other words, don't give in to the evil one's schemes of trying to thwart God's master plan. Don't give in to his temptation and his despair. Stand firm, be strong as God's people in the world. You have a role to play. Do it, play your part. A few Fridays ago, a good number of us men gathered together for uh, four hours on our Friday nights to do manly things. Um, uh, we ate curry and um, we played football and pool and various other manly things and we had a very manly time and it was great fun. Um, I, I know a number of us were there on, on that Friday night. 
And through the course of the evening, one thing we did do is we looked at God's word and we thought about uh, being heroes. Again, a very manly topic. Uh, we, we learned that we all, as men, want to be heroes in some shape or form, which is kind of good, but it's also kind of bad because we're not really hero materials as fallen uh, human guys. But there's a sense in which, as humans, I guess particularly guys, when we, when we read words like be strong, stand firm, we go, yeah, I want to do that. I, I want to be the hero. I want to save the day. I want to stand up and I want to make this work. And we um, maybe leave here tonight, we go out to, to Monday morning thinking, yes, I'm going to be a hero and stand strong. But of course, Paul doesn't stop there in verse 10. He doesn't say go out and be a hero on your own and make everyone think that you somehow rescue the day by your own resources and cleverness. Now, do you see how he goes on? He says, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You see, we we cannot win this battle on our own. If we try, we'll fail. We can only be strong, stand firm, if we do so in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, Throughout Ephesians, we've heard much about God's power. It's been a wonderful, encouraging theme. Paul prays for power in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. We heard about it tonight as uh, some of us shared. We need God's power and at work in our lives to make us like Christ, to, to remind us and show us how amazing God's love for us is. And here tonight, finally, we see that we need God's power if we are to stand strong in the spiritual warfare that we are now involved in as God's church. How is it that we can tap into this power? How can we bring this incredible, mighty power to bear into our lives in a way which makes a difference? Well, verse 11 explains how we can access God's power. Paul says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 11 explains verse 10. We, we access God's power by putting on the armor of God. And then Paul borrows an illustration from the world of the military. Uh, in verses 14 to 17, he describes a Roman soldier uh, preparing himself for battle. And uh, there, was, uh, there are many uh, in-depth discussions about what each item of um, clothing represents Uh, People talk about whether the sword was a long sword or a short sword or whether the belt that's mentioned in verse 14 was an outer belt or an inner belt. And actually, I don't think we know all those details. I don't think that is the point of the illustration. Because it is an illustration, we shouldn't, I think, push the details too far. But what is clear, what is Paul saying is that we have to put on something incredibly powerful We have to clothe ourselves in something remarkably resilient, something that will change the day, that will win the battle, push back the forces of evil. And just as a Roman soldier wouldn't think of entering battle without wearing his physical armor, so the Christian wouldn't think of entering battle without being clothed with this uh, armor from God. What is this armor? What is the point of the illustration? Well, I think in different ways, each item of clothing represents, illustrates, points us to the gospel. 
This is a picture, an illustration of a Christian heading out into the battle that is waging around us, clothed in the protection and implications and motivations that the gospel brings. For example, uh, the belt of truth, Paul talks about in verse 14. We've heard about truth already in Ephesians. Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 13, that uh, the gospel is the word of truth. So Paul says, wear the belt of the gospel. Or verse 15, Paul talks about uh, righteousness. Where does righteousness come from? It comes from uh, the gospel, God making us right with him through the death of Jesus. Or verse 15, where does our peace come from? It comes from having the great dividing wall of hostility broken down by the gospel. So we are to put on the armor of God. We are to be soldiers heading into a very real battle, not against flesh and blood, and not with physical armor, but rather against the devil and clothed with the gospel and gospel implications. Let me just say in passing that to say the gospel is what we are to put on is not saying that it's simply academic or simply something that we think about. No, Paul's talking about power. And he'll pray towards the end for more power and he'll ask the Ephesians to pray for him. We should pray for one another. We need to pray. And this gospel clothing is real power. When we put it on, God will come and empower us. So this isn't just an academic exercise. It is how God chooses to powerfully work through us. So what, what would it look like for a Christian to head into the battle clothed in gospel armor? Well, well, let me just give you one illustration from the everyday life. The very ordinary and very real example of a husband driving home after a busy day in the office. I mentioned that at the beginning. Remember, I mentioned the day's been long. Uh, the day hasn't gone very well. It's been a, perhaps a stressful day. How will he respond to his wife and to his family when he walks through the front door? The evil forces would love for him to be grumpy and irritable. They would love for him to not love his wife as Christ loved the church. They would love for the picture the husband paints of marriage to be a very messy and warped and diluted picture of how Christ loves the church. He would love for the husband to, to want to pull back from his wife, to be harsh with his children, to not lead the family well. As the husband walks to the front door, he is in a battle. And it's not against flesh and blood. So how can this husband clothe himself in the gospel and so be strong in the Lord? Well, there's lots of ways. Uh, talk about this in your small groups, but here's, here's one way you could do it. Perhaps you can remember Ephesians 1, verse 3. We've heard it tonight uh, a couple of times. That in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because Christ has died for us, because we've been forgiven of our sins, we now have everything. This husband walks home, not as a, as a poor and broken man. Perhaps he's not got the job. Perhaps the meeting went badly at work. But he doesn't come home poor and broken. He comes home as someone incredibly rich. He couldn't be richer. He has every spiritual blessing in Christ. If he would just remember. And not just remember, but if he would have power to let it affect his heart and his emotions. That he would actually lift his spirit and change how he feels about coming home. If he could put on that armor 
He would walk in the front door knowing he is a rich man, a blessed man. Knowing that he doesn't need to grasp and control and pull back at home, protecting himself. But rather he has everything in Christ and therefore he can give to others. That's one way he could armor himself. Well, perhaps another way. He could remember Ephesians 2, which talks about how we were all dead in our transgressions and sins before Christ made us alive in him. He could remember that his rescue from death to life is only because of Christ and the gospel and the cross. And because of it, he's been washed and redeemed and forgiven. Which means that no matter how badly his day has gone, no matter how much he's messed up at work, he comes home incredibly loved by the Lord. And if he just had power to grasp the scope of God's love, the height and breadth and depth of it, then he would come home with incredible emotional stability, not thrown by the day, overwhelmed rather by God's love. And desiring and able to love his wife in some kind of form that Christ has loved him. That is just two little examples of how a husband could put on the armor of the gospel in that very real battle. Well, look, I I used husbands as one example, perhaps because I can relate to that particularly well. There's my battle. I have many others, but that is one. We all have different battles here tonight. If we're children obeying our parents, if we have a short temper, if we struggle with bitterness, if there's someone in our small group who just winds us up and we just cannot unite with them, if we just don't want to serve, if we hate committing to small group. And all these things, the gospel armor can transform how we view those moments of battle. Talk about how in your small groups. Work it out. Show one another what you're doing with the gospel armor in your life. Encourage one another along those lines. Now, I'm no military expert, but as far as I know, the idea, the point of armor is that you put armor on before you go into battle. You don't want to be fumbling around with straps and swords and belts when the arrows are flying around and you're in the thick of it. And Paul says that uh, we should put on, verse 13, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may then be able to stand your ground. You see, we put on the armor first before we enter into battle. When will that battle come? When will this evil day come at us? Uh, Well, Paul doesn't say what this day of evil will be. Well, look, we've, we've heard about a particularly evil day this week, haven't we? We've heard about a man, as far as we can tell, who decided to fly a plane of 150 people into a mountainside. Uh, We don't know all the details yet. We don't know why. But whatever the reason, whatever the context, whatever the motives, what happened feels evil. It feels wrong. It feels wicked. And as we hear about those innocent lives lost and the horrible circumstances in which these things took place... The devil would love to whisper into our ear, there's no God. Or if there's a God, he's not powerful, he's not good. He hasn't got a master plan for the world. He's not at work to bring all things together under one head, even Christ. Look at the plane. That could be an example of a day of evil. I don't know, it could be something like that. Something big and and traumatic. We don't have to be directly involved in it, but we can be wobbly in our faith as we watch it happen to others. 
But I suspect for many of us, the evil day will be less spectacular, less in the public domain. It'll be, I think, more frequent, more everyday, more mundane. It'll be the moment we unlock the front door to walk in to meet the family. It'll be in the office talking to our colleagues as the humor becomes inappropriate. It'll be in that moment as we think, do I go to a small group or not? You know, I, I don't think I will tonight. Those are the times when the devil is trying to tempt us to go against God's way, to go a different way, to fail to live out who we are in Christ. And I think, in a, in a sense, that is the day of evil, when the, when the devil comes and presses us, trying to discourage us. And so Paul says that we need to be prepared all the time, I take it, therefore, with the armor on, ready for those moments when we are tested and tempted, when the devil tries to make us wobbly in our faith. And so I guess the application is clear tonight that we mustn't wait for things to become difficult, but we need to put the armor on now before we become wobbly. And we can do this at home on our own every morning as we read the scriptures and we pray, asking God for power, uh, reminding ourselves of the gospel, asking God to take the gospel and powerfully to, to weave it into our hearts so that we are transformed and able to face what comes at us. But I think if we understand the flow of Ephesians, then we'll understand that there's more going on than just what we do on our own at home. We've seen, haven't we, that we are to live together as God's people. We are to work out God's master plan together as a group, as a church family, as a people of God, as a family, not on our own. And I think a big part of what it means to put on our armor is to help one another with the buckle and the straps and the fitting and the sizing up and the, is it on right? Yes, it is. Or no, it's not. It's back to front. Paul says uh, to stand firm, be strong in the plural. He's speaking to all of God's people. We do this together, not on our own. And so a huge part of what it means to put on the armor of God is to do it with other Christians. Look, it means speaking the truth in love to one another. We've done that tonight. I've loved it, hearing Christians remind me of the truth. It's brilliant. We need more of this. Afterwards, over coffee, in our small groups. Can I just say, our small groups, they're not about having a long list of people who come to our groups and ticking the box saying, yes, we have lots of people coming to small groups. I don't talk about small groups a lot because it's my job to talk about small groups. No, I want everyone here to be in small groups because if we're not then we haven't got someone to help us with the armor. No one's helping us fit it on and to size it and shape it. We're on our own, and that's not how God meant us to fight. If you're not in a small group, come and speak to me. If you're thinking of giving up on your small group, don't. You need them. They need you. We need each other to help be our armor bearers, to help each other be strapped and ready for the gospel fight coming. And it's not just the speaking and the being around, it's the praying. Do you notice how Paul continues this section? It says in verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I take it he's saying, pray for power. 
Pray for the Spirit's work amongst us, for, for gospel conviction, gospel um, power to stand firm. In that moment of, of temptation, to remember something about the gospel which is true and right and help us to keep going. We need other Christians praying for us. So in our small groups, when we come to our prayer times, don't squeeze them. Keep, keep them long and filled out. And pray these kinds of armor prayers, gospel prayers for one another. Paul knew he needed it. I know I need it. That we all need it in the fight that we are in. I do wonder who is around us who can speak truth in love to us. It's not just enough to, to be at a small group on a midweek night or to be around other Christians. I wonder who knows us well enough to know the particular struggles we are having in our lives. We all have them. They'll be different for each one of us. But who knows about them? Have we found someone who we can trust to, to share those struggles with? Is there someone who can say to us, take this gospel truth and put it on there and I'll be praying that truth for you in your hearts this week. And if you're struggling, ring me up. I want to know how you got on. Give me a text, email me. I'll see you next week. Who's doing that for us? And of course, who are we doing that for? Who are we encouraging and equipping for the fight? I think this idea of sharing lives with one another is so important. It's all over Ephesians. And I think it's there as Paul finishes his letter. He finishes by talking about the importance of sharing life with one another. Look at verse 22. He says, I am sending Tychicus to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Do you see that? Paul wants to share news. I take it not just how the flowers are growing in the front garden, but, but gospel news, how the fight's going, the, the setbacks, the breakthroughs, the temptations. He wants to share how it is in the trenches. And he wants to encourage them with how he's standing in the gospel. And I think that's our dynamic, isn't it? To share news with one another. Share how it's going along the front line as we stand together. We're designed by God to work that way. And that is how Paul finishes his letter. My guess is most of us spend a fair bit of time thinking about what clothes we wear. Some of us more than others, looking around the room here tonight. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, looking up at the ceiling. But we all spend some time thinking about clothing. We have to. We, we go shopping to prepare for it. Uh, I guess we're worried about being caught out wearing the wrong clothes. I remember at school, uh, back in the day, um, we used to have a school uniform. And uh, just once a year, once a time, we had our own clothes day when we could wear our own clothes to school. And there'd always be one or two poor souls who'd rock up, who'd forgotten about uh, the own clothes day, and they were wearing their school uniform. They had the wrong clothes on. And of course, being kind and loving, we mocked them mercilessly. Well, look, we care about what clothes we wear in everyday life. We, we give some thought to it. It matters. And as we finish Ephesians, Paul would say to each one of us, don't go on in life. Don't put Ephesians to one side. And forget that our spiritual clothing matters even more than our physical clothing. You wouldn't want to go into battle wearing the wrong clothes. We're in a battle. So let's arm ourselves with the gospel. Let's pray for one another. And together, let's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. Let's pray.
Father, we just are amazed once again that you would choose to use us, even us, little us, and our weakness and our imperfections to broadcast to the cosmos your wisdom and your glory. Father, thank you for bringing us in and including us in that master plan for the world. And we pray tonight as we look back over Ephesians that you would help us as we move forward to stand firm in the gospel. We long to bring you great glory, to broadcast your wisdom to the world as we live as you would have us live. And Father, we need your power. We need your gospel power at work in us. Please, would you help us to be the kind of people who help one another to be strong in the gospel, equipped for the fight. And we pray that through us somehow, you would show the evil authorities, Satan himself, that he is lost and that your son has won. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.